0: There's a few people who ask me about why I'm not preaching about the vaccines and why am I not preaching about COVID and why don't I give you the updates all around the world? Well, if you look on YouTube and if you look all over the news medias that you find, you will have enough information about that. My task is to preach the gospel, the word of God, and that is what I want to do. I want to concentrate on that. That's why God called me, is to give the good news. You see, everything in the world can happen. You can have worse COVID strains coming out. You can have worse things about the vaccines. But the gospel still stays the most powerful thing in the whole world. And the gospel is the only thing and the only thing that can get you to eternal life. And it's the only thing that will give you a life hereafter where things like COVID and lockdowns and nothing can touch. So I want to keep on preaching the gospel. I want to keep on preaching the word of God, which I believe you and I need during these days. So in our study, going through the churches, uh, we remember that Jesus appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos, and he says to him, go and write these letters to the seven churches. And we compare these letters to the The kingdom parables in Matthew 13, and again, uh, the Gospels were written under the Old Covenant in the New Testament. What do I mean by that? It's a transitional book. Yes, it's written for us, and, and I've learned so much, and my spiritual walk has grown so much out of the Gospels. Uh, it's not to say it's an old dispensation. No, it's written for the new dispensation, but it was written under the old covenant. When when these men who walked with Jesus, they were still under the law until Jesus died on the cross, that they stayed or died, and the new covenant came into fruition. And this is where we find ourselves, that he was writing... Uh, In in the Gospels, in in Matthew, when Matthew writes about Jesus' parables, he was talking about the kingdom of heaven. He wasn't talking about the church because the church was only established after he died and uh, uh, ascended on high and the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. So today we find ourselves, after we went through uh, all of these churches in Revelation chapter 2, we come to chapter 3 now and we find the next church. Now, as you go through these churches, you might find certain time frames during the church age that you can apply these churches to. That can be done. But it can also be applied to you and me as an individual because we make up in the New Testament the church. We are the living stones, the living building blocks in the church. So these messages that we find is applicable to us. We need to listen to this and we need to say, Dear Lord, tell me how this applies to me. We're going to look at the dead church today. And I want you to honestly pray and say, Lord, am I dead in my heart? You know, another name that I call this church is the great pretenders. Am I pretending to be a Christian? Am I pretending to be a faithful Christian? And if if I say I'm a Christian and hardship hardship come my way, how do I respond? You see, if I'm going to be a pretender, then I'm not going to be able to respond in faith. I'm going to just shout out and frantically run around and call things things and, you know, put emotional messages out to the world. But if I operate in faith, I'm going to silently trust in God from where my help comes. So we look at the dead church now. This church is called Sardis. And we find it in Revelation chapter 3. But I want to start off by reading you something that Paul wrote to Timothy, this young pastor, about the times that we are living in right now. Listen intently when I read to you what this great apostle writes to this, new, this young pastor. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And I highly... Recommend you open up your Bible and follow in your own Bible so you can make notes next to the words. He says there, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Dear friend, brother, sister, if you do not understand that we are living in the last days, you need to wake up. And here, Paul says to this young man, this pastor of a church, he says, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, difficult times will come. It is coming, and listen to the list now. He says, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, uh, proud, blasphemous, uh, disobedient to parents, We see that so evident in our day. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, listen what he ends this now with. He says, having a form of godliness, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. Now, what is writing here, this whole list, and and I'm not going to unpack the whole list for you, I think all of those words are self-explanatory to you. But if you read through that list, it makes you think that This is the afternoon newspaper that you're reading. Or it is the six o'clock news on television that is going through. Because you find all of these things in the world right now. But not only in the world. All of these things you will find in some churches. Because remember, the Apostle Paul writes this to the pastor Timothy about the situation of the world and about the situation that will be found in churches. Now, as I went through that list there, again, could you identify with a few of those things that you feel convicted about i'm not saying guilty about because if you found out to be guilty you feel sorry about it i don't want you to feel sorry about it i want you to be convicted there's a difference between conviction and feeling sorry about something or guilty about something because if you feel convicted that's the point that you come to the savior and you say i ask you to forgive me my sins And he says here it is in the last days that these things will come. And we are dressing a church who's who's the great pretending church. They've got a form of godliness, but yet they are denying its power. The power is the gospel. Uh, In in the book of Romans, um, uh, Paul writes, he says, I'm not ashamed of the, the power of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. Yet these people who we've learned about here are ashamed of that. They—it's it's replaced. The power of the gospel has been replaced by pretending to be godly. We find so many pretenders, and this is this is the the state of the world right now. They pretend to be godly, but they are not. Now. Let's turn our attention now to Sardis and this letter that's going to be written to Sardis. Sardis is a really interesting city. It represents the dead church. Now, this city was built on a high plateau. Uh, it, It wasn't a big space in the plateau, but it was a high plateau. And apparently there was a difficult road that went up into this plateau that you could walk up there or could travel up there. Uh, but it was also known as the the center or the capital of the carpet industry a well-financed wealthy city this is also the place where the first mint the coin was minted and one of the richest men and the most wealthiest man of his time lived there his name was crucis and crucis was so wealthy that they said everything he touched you know that that phrase or that word turned into gold and this is what is happening around that place wealth was all of, over there. not only that but there were two temples two known temples of the day there one was the temple to Cybele which represented Diana and you remember Diana had the temple in Ephesus but Cybele was seen as the as the goddess of the moon and there was also a smaller a temple there for the great Apollo, the God Apollo. And remember, small letter gods, these were not real gods. But he was the sun god. And they believed and worshipped them as brother and sister of their, of their times and days. So this is the city that we find in Sardis. Now I want you to listen attentively to what Jesus said to this church. Revelation chapter 3 verse 1, it says unto the angel of the church in Sardis, write these things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. I'll read that last again. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Now, dear friends, Let me explain something in this passage to you. If you see the words there, and Jesus again picked for himself a title which is applicable to this church. You know, he talks about the seven spirits and the seven stars. Now, the seven spirits here, does not mean that there are seven Holy Spirits because he's obviously referring to the Holy Spirit. In your Bible, when you look at that, it is the capital letter S for Spirit, which refer you to the Ruach of Yahweh, the Ruach of God. And the Spirit here does not mean, like some people want to say, oh, is there one Holy Spirit or are there seven Holy Spirits? There is only one Holy Spirit. But what we have here is the seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit, the seven characteristics. Now, remember, when we're going to talk about a dead church, the one thing that can bring it alive is a Spirit and the Spirit of God. But we need to understand what the Spirit can consist of. So if we open up in Isaiah chapter 11, we find an explanation or the characteristics of the sevenfold, if you want to call it that, Spirit of God. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. I want you to follow again in your Bible. It says there, they shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. The word here for rod is capital letter, and Jesse is the father of David. Here it represents and it points and it references of Jesus Christ who would come out of that lineage. And a branch, again capital letter, shall grow out of its roots. So it says here that there will be an offshoot out of that, out of that lineage. And then something's going to happen to this person who was going to be born on the earth. Listen now and follow. Verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now I want you to count with me now. First of all, this is the Spirit of the Lord. It's no other Spirit. It's no other wishy-washy thing that happens. It is the Spirit of the Lord. That's the first characteristic of the Holy Spirit. When I pray, Holy Spirit, come, I understand that I'm calling on the Spirit of God which is God, because He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Spirit. Now, and, and that Spirit has got a characteristic. It's a person. It's not just a wind that blows. So the first characteristic of the sevenfold Spirit, if you want to call it that, which is referenced here, it is the Spirit of the Lord. Now, when he uses the word Lord there, you will find in your Bible the whole word is spelled out in capital letters. Why? Because it says Yahweh. Or, and, and what does this mean? When it's spelled out like that in the Old Testament, it is like a title. It is like the title deed. It is, it is the deity. So, this makes the Spirit special. There's none other spirits in the whole of the world, which is the Spirit of God. It is the the Spirit of the Lord. The title, deed comes with that. So, first of all, the characteristic of the Holy Spirit, it's the Spirit of the Lord. Now, listen now, he says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him. Just quickly. If you refer now to the day when Jesus Christ was baptized by John the Baptist, what happened? The, the heavens opened up and the Spirit of the Lord came down as a dove. It wasn't a dove. Like a dove came down and it rested upon his shoulder. He went into the, in, into the synagogue in Luke chapter 4. They gave him the book of Isaiah. He opened up in Isaiah chapter 61 and he says, The Spirit of the Lord rest upon me, is upon me. So here he, he talks about Jesus Christ and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. That's the first of the characteristic of the Spirit. What else? Let's continue reading Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2. He says it's the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of wisdom. Later on, when John writes to the churches in Ephesus, he says, I pray that you receive the spirit of wisdom. Where does the spirit comes from? It comes from God. This is why he says in James, in the book of James, if you lack wisdom, pray it, ask it from God. So if the Holy Spirit comes into you and lives inside of you, it's the Spirit of the Lord. It's the Spirit of wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. What is wisdom? Wisdom is to know how to apply knowledge. And then here, the second characteristic of that Spirit is wisdom. And then he says, and understanding. So It is wisdom and understanding. Now, listen clearly to me. Some people say, preacher, I've read the Bible, but I just don't get it. I can't understand it. I was written to somebody who was uh, approaching me on Facebook and said, uh, I want to start reading the Bible. And where do I start? My my uh, advice back to that person was, uh, you need to pray first of all. You need to come to a, a, a saving salvation in Christ. And, and I, I wrote it down how you get to that point. But then you need to ask the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you. And once the Spirit of God comes inside of you, it's only at that point in time that when you open up the Scriptures, that you will understand the Scriptures. Friend, listen to me, you can study the Bible like a parrot, you can read the scriptures, you can quote them back to me, but you can still not understand what you're reading until the spirit of understanding comes inside of you and open up the scriptures for you. You will not understand the Word of God without the Holy Spirit. It will only be a book of stories and moldy old pages. So the third characteristic of this is, it is the spirit of understanding. So it continues on now and he says, the spirit of understanding, then the spirit of counsel, the spirit of counsel. Now, here is another opening up for you and for me to understand with this Holy Spirit. When we think about Jesus and we think in Isaiah, He says, A Son is born unto us and and He is the mighty Counselor. He is the mighty Counselor. We go to the Word of God. We approach God the Father for what? For counsel. We go to Jesus, the Son of God, which is God, for counsel. And then we come to the Holy Spirit, which is God, for counsel. He is the mighty counselor. That is one of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. When when the Spirit lives inside of you, the counselor lives inside of you, and somebody comes for counsel, and you open up, you give them biblical counsel, it is the Spirit of God that operates through you to give that counsel. It It is a characteristic of the Spirit of God. You see, the Spirit is not just a wind that blows. There's so much impacted here. Not only is He a spirit of counsel, but He's also the spirit of might. He's the spirit of might. That's the fifth characteristic of the Holy Spirit the might. Uh, You remember when, uh, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, the prophet says, God says through the the prophet, go and say to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Why? Because our human uh, power, our human strength will draw nigh. It will go down. It will diminish. But the spirit of God's power will not. There is so many references that come up in my mind now. You remember when he says that, you know, um, these two olive trees uh, and they continually give oil into the menorah, into the lampstand so that the lamp keep on burning. There is no end to the might, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the fifth characteristic of the Spirit of God. Then Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2, he says, it is not only the counsel and might, but it's the spirit of knowledge the spirit of knowledge. And again, I come back to the point where Paul prays to the church in Ephesus and he says, I pray the Lord that he gives you the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of knowledge. The spirit of wisdom and the spirit of knowledge. You will not understand and get the knowledge of God in without the Holy Spirit. And then finally, he says, it is the fear of the Lord. The seventh one is the fear of the Lord. Let me explain this to you. My friend, dear brother and sister, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says it in the book of Proverbs. But here is the thing. If you do not know God, If you do not know God properly, you will not have the fear of the Lord. And how do you know God? You go through the Bible. You learn about God. He reveals Himself to you. And that knowledge, that wisdom, that understanding, and the Spirit of God coming in you give you the fear of the Lord. It is not a terrifying fear. It is a reference fear. Today, there are too many people in the churches, too many people who are afraid. to to be born again because they fear a God who can crush them. They fear and they've been taught that this God will crush you. No, no, this God will not crush you. This God will save you because once you are saved, you will get a fear of God through the Holy Spirit, which is a reference of this God, which you do not want to disappoint. So here we find it sevenfold or seven characteristics of the spirit. So let me go back to Revelation chapter three. He says to this church in us, right, you as the seven spirits. Now you understand that seven spirits are in the seven stars. And then he says, I know your works, that you have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. And let me say to you now, if you're dead, you need the Spirit of God to make you alive. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, You who were dead in your trespasses and sins, you were dead in your sin. What happened? He made alive. How do He make you alive? You confess your sin, He saved your soul, and the Spirit of the Lord comes live inside of you, and you're alive. And here he talks to a dead church. So why does he use the seven spirits of God as a title to this church? Because a church without the Holy Spirit is dead. And if we think about the Reformation churches now, the Reformed churches now, there's a big Reformed churches in South Africa that I know of. But if you go through Europe, good work started. You know, when Calvin went and he hit those... Uh, uh, uh you know statues against the doors and the Reformation took place out of Catholicism you know that was good but then it didn't go all the way. There were a lot of the relics of that old religion that stayed with them and and hanged on there and that makes it dead. there's no spirit of God. um he says you've got a name that you're alive but you're dead you know you've got the name church. And everybody to church, oh, that's good, but you're dead. There's nothing there. And again, I I call the Protestant church out here. There's no spirit there. It's only ritual that makes you feel good, that makes you feel that you are a Christian, but you're not. And and the biggest danger here, if I can just add this in here, is, is generally second and third generation Christians. This, to me, is the biggest danger. You see... In all the other churches, he was talking about Nicodemus. He's talking about Jezebel. He's talking about those who call themselves Jews who were not. But but let me say to you, those things are still in progress. You know, he says to Jezebel, repent, or I'll I'll put you in a sick bath. The or repent out of that. The All of those things. But once you come to a dead church... Let it be known, and, and this is one of the biggest dangers that's hitting uh, our generation. It is second and third generation Christians. What do I mean by that? Well, mum and dad miraculously got saved out of a sinful life, and their children grow up with them, and and their children now say, well, mom and dad is Christians, I go to church because mom and dad goes to church, but they never come to a saving knowledge, they never come to repentance in their own lives, they get children, which is the third generation, and oftentimes, dear brothers and sisters, these children, once they get their own decisions, will not go to church anymore, mom and dad might still be going to church, but the second generation that comes out of that, they will Will not go to church or so they may go to church because they follow mom and dad but there's no saving grace there's no holy spirit and then when their children comes out it is many times that the third generation will not follow god they will not follow jesus christ because mom and dad is not he's not doing that they're not living a lifestyle which makes it attractive for these children to get safe and to follow christ That brings deadness into churches. You've got children whose parents, you know, you talk to some people and they say, Oh, great, great grandfather. He was a minister, a pastor and or mom and dad followed Christ. But, you know, I mm, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I, I got hurt. A lot of them. I got hurt in church. You only get hurt in church. Listen to me. You only get hurt in church if you're not saved by the blood of the Lamb. I'll I'll repeat it again. You will only get hurt in church if you are not saved by the blood of the Lamb. Because if you're saved by the blood of the Lamb, that incorporates forgiveness. You have to forgive people for what they're doing to you. You have to also not only ask their forgiveness, but you also have to give the, the forgiveness. You have to walk by faith. You have to understand that you will be persecuted. You will have to understand that not everybody in the church is Christian you have to understand the second and third generation who's hanging around the joint now listen to me very carefully and i say it again the only reason why you get hurt in church by other christians is because you are not a christian you are not washed by the blood of the lamb and i know that you're going to be offended some of you with this but this is just go and pray about it this is just what i what i need to tell you today if you are hurt then you ask forgiveness from god because you deemed yourself too important so that you can get at it. It's not about us. It's about Him. It's about the cross. You say to me, but you don't know what people have done to me. Well, I, I understand. You don't know what they've done to Christ. What have they done to Jesus Christ? They've put him to a cross. He wasn't even guilty. They back-mouthed him. They gossiped about him. They pulled his beard. They hit him for nothing. And what did he say? Oh, I got hurt. I'm not going to talk to those people anymore. No, no, no. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. It's one of the biggest dangers in the church, and I hear it so many times. When you, when you go to people who's, who's backslidden, so-called backslidden, oh, I got hurt by this one person in the church and he said horrible things about me. Or my children got hurt because this person did this. No, no, no. This, I'll, I'll repeat it one more time. One more time. If you get hurt by people, you need to forgive them and move on. And not blame the church. Blame yourself. So he says now here to this church, he says, be watchful and strengthen the things. This is uh, Revelation 3 verse 2. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. I've not found them perfect before God. And he says here, the things that remain, he says, strengthen them. There's, There's still hope here. There's still something small. There's still hope in the Reformation churches. There's still hope in the Reformed churches. But, but you know, the, you need to strengthen them. Verse 3, Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. That's a reference to the rapture. Some people don't want to believe it. You believe whatever you want to believe. But I'm telling you, that's a reference to the rapture. He says here, remember therefore how you received and heard. You see those words there? Hold fast and repent. Repent of what? Of dead works. Hold fast the things that they are still a little bit strength of. But he says here, remember therefore how you have received and heard. What is he referring to? It's really easy once you follow the word of God. Receive the word, the Bible, or the word, the gospel, and heard the gospel. Let me show you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul writes now to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. For what, Paul? Because when you receive the word of God, wait a minute. When you received the Word of God. In in Revelation, Jesus said to John uh, to write to this church in verse 3. Remember therefore how you have received what? The Word of God, Paul says. You've received the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 Which you've heard from us. You've received the Word of God. Which you've heard from us. And here Jesus says to that church. Remember how you've received and heard the word remember that you you welcomed it not as the word of man but as it is in truth the word of god which also effectively work in you who also believe who also believe you need to hold on to the word the word is living the word of if you go to reformation churches now you go to them they will read a text out of the word but it's dead to them and then they will preach a whole sermon for an hour with two or three reference text references that's what it's called will reference to the text that's not it that's not alive that's dead you need to let the word do the living you need to let the living word live through the hearts and remember the living word. Why? Because the word of God with the Holy Spirit will bring you to repentance of sin in your life and then it will teach you and then you will grow. So let's now look at uh, verse 4. He says, You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white. For they are worthy. Now the Bible constantly talk about this white garments. If you go to Isaiah chapter one, verse eighteen, he says, Come let's reason together. Though your sins were red like scarlet and as crimson, which means there's a stain uh, on a garment, if you, if you get a picture of a garment in your head. And though your sins is like red on a white garment, he says, I will wash it whiter than snow and soft as wool the picture here is is that that stain that sits in there now any person who's doing laundry will tell you if there is white pure whiteness and you put blood on it or you put scarlet on it that it will leave a stain there well and that's this is what the stain of sin do well the blood of jesus christ washes whiter than snow and and it removes the stain of sin and this refers back to this he says if, if you do not defile your garment, if you do not bring sin into your garment, a stain, stain into your garment, he says, and they shall walk with me in white. And how wonderful is this notion of walking with the Lord. It reminds me of the song that we sing so wonderful and listen to the lyrics when it says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of His word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His goodwill, He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. My friend, to walk with the Lord is is one of the most wonderful things that you will do in your life, in this life and the life to come to walk with the Lord. And he says here there's even a few names inside us. If you think of this dead church in the Protestant church or even in the church or even in your life, there is still hope there that there's a few names that even inside us have not defiled their garments and they will walk with the Lord. Verse 5, and he overcome shall be clothed in white garments, and will not blot out his name in the book of life. <clears throat> but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He was an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a very interesting verse here. This is not saying that you can lose your salvation. I know that there are some people who want to use this because of the blotting out of names out of the book of life. There's two major books here that the Bible talks about. One is the Register book of life. And that is that every single child who are born or conceived, I should say, because there's a difference between conceiving and being born. Conceiving is when, when that new life is formed and that name is in god's register book but it's also the book of death if you want to think about it because every person are born in death in sin and and they are dead through trespasses and sin but it's a register book but then you have the book of life where the born again child of god's name will be written into Um. He makes a reference to this and I will preach that sermon about being having assurance of salvation. This is not saying that you can lose your salvation, and I will preach that sermon. but for now I want to bring your focus to the part which says that,, <clears throat> but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Remember it's Jesus talking here. He is our advocate. He is our intercessor. And he says the following words, he says, I will confess his name, that is the person whose garment is not defiled, who is born. I will confess his name before my father. Now, if you think about the white throne judgment, which we will not appear before because of our sin, we will be, be appear before the beamer seed of Christ to be judged for the works we've done in his name. But if you think about the white throne judgment, if my name is called out of the Register Book of Life, the Book of Death, to come and stand before the Father, up comes my advocate. And he says it right here. He says, I will confess his name before my father and the angels. So think about the white throne judgment. If you appear, if you have to appear before there, Jesus will appear in your behalf, mention your name, and say that my blood washed him whiter than snow. How wonderful and marvelous is that to think about this. He said it himself in Matthew 10, 32, Therefore, whomever confessed me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But... Whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, as you know, I've been comparing the churches to the kingdom parables. And this is the fifth church. So I want to compare it to the fifth parable. Let me read the parable to you. Matthew 13, verse 44. He says again, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he hid. And for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, a short parable, but it says so much. So what what is the implication here? Some people see that um, we are, you know, the that uh, the, uh, the, the Jesus is that hidden treasure which is hidden. It's not so. The application of this is, and we need to do a little bit of Bible work here to explain it to you. He says it's like a treasure hidden in a field. Who's the treasure? Well, the Bible gives the answer. The treasure is Israel. If you go back to Exodus chapter 19 verse 5, the Bible calls Israel the treasure and it's never changed. Look at this. He says in verse 5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, who did he talk to in Exodus? He spoke to Israel. Let me read on. Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Again, who did he talk to there? He says in Exodus, He spoke to the nation who he took out of bondage, he spoke to the Jews, to the Israelites. He says, if you will obey my voice and you keep my covenant, I will make you, you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people. And still to this day, my friend Israel is above all the people. He did not replace Israel. He still got a purpose and a plan for Israel. They are a special treasure to him. Psalm 135 verse 4 For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself and Israel for his special treasure. So, how do we apply this to the parable? He came to his own, you know that. He came to his treasure in, in the Old Testament and in, in the Gospels, we see him under the Old Covenant coming to his covenant people, the Israelites. And when he came to his own, John 1, 11, and his own did not receive him. Now, let's go back to the parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure. Israel is hidden and then in a field, which is the world. They are hidden in the world, Israel. And when he found them, when he came to them, in the in the gospels under the old covenant to the covenant people when he found them he came to them they rejected him and now he hit them again he hit them again until what happens for the joy over it he goes and he sells everything he has and he buys the field he he died on the cross he sold everything he had he gave it to buy us again. The book of Peter says he begotten us again. He, we were lost and he, 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 he got us the first time, but he, we were lost and he bought us again. And this is his nation. So He hid it again and, and let it be no prophecy tells us so much so in, in the book of uh, Revelation that there will come a day and a time in the book of Ezekiel that they will look upon Him, the one who they have pierced and they will weep over Him. He will come back again for them. His treasure. And He went and He bought the field which is the world. Uh, because they are in the world. Now, what is the re- reference then to Sardis, you say? There's their church. He says to Sardis, You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garment, and they shall walk with me, for they are worthy. It is the same. He found that the church, the church were meant to bring life to, Meant to bring a taste and 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 flavor to the world. This day the church is dead. But there's still a few. There's still a few. Who, who do we know? Do we know if we go to the Protestant churches today who they are? No, they hit again. But they are there, they still life there until he comes, until he comes. And he will reveal. He purchased the whole the whole field. The the church belongs to him. L- let it just be known that. He said himself that this is the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we see all these things happen in Ephesus, the loveless church. And let me apply it to you. You know, it starts with losing your love. Some will still be persecuted and through persecution they might lose their love as a personal relationship. Then you start compromising. And corruption steps in. And the next step after compromising and corruption is death. There is a a pathway that follows through these churches. And it's a warning for you and for me. Where are you today? Where are you along this way? Have you lost the first love? Have you lost Christ? Are you compromising right now? If you do, my dear friend, I want to warn you, according to Jesus Christ, watch out for corruption to set in. Before corruption sets in, before the leaven leavens the whole lump, stop that repent and come back to the cross. Come back to the Word. Ask the Holy Spirit to restore Himself in you. Because if compromise leads to corruption, corruption will lead to death. And when death sets in, the word in the Bible is "ikabot," It's dead. The Spirit of the Lord has departed. May the Lord bless you and may He keep you and, uh, until we see each other again. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. I thank You, Father, for the warning. I, Father, I thank You for opening up this for us in wisdom and in knowledge. I pray for my dear brothers and sisters and friends all over the world who might have it tough right now that You will bless them, that You will keep them and strengthen them through Your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen.